Hello and welcome to the Northgate Podcast, where we aim to bring people closer to Christ, build them up, and empower them to go out into the world and make a positive impact. With our inspiring content and engaging discussions, this podcast serves as a beacon of hope and spiritual growth for all its listeners. The purpose of the Northgate Podcast can be summed up by our mission to bring people to Christ, build them up in that relationship, and send them out. This motto encapsulates our dedication to help individuals discover the transformative power of Christ's love, nurture their faith, and develop a strong foundation in their spiritual journey. Now here is today's message. All right. I'm glad you're here. I'm really glad you're here. Thanks for making the effort. It's one of those days where you could have said, hey, we're just going to stay home. If you did stay at home, I'm not mad at you, but I'm happier with the people that did come in. Unless you're sick, then thank you for staying home. And I just want to say before we start, because I know DL is also a competitive person, I applaud you for putting the safety of your daughters ahead of winning a meaningless competition. I do. I admire that, and I hope I would do the same. All right, we're in a series called Soul Care. And you don't have to be around. You don't have to live life for very long to discover that at times it can get pretty heavy. Right, sometimes it's a widespread thing. Sometimes there's times where everybody kind of feels the heaviness. You know, the post-holiday blues, right? You get through Christmas and you get through New Year's and it's kind of like, okay, what now, right? And you kind of have that, you feel that kind of community heaviness sometimes. You look outside and it's winter, it's gray and bleak. There's times where we don't see the sun for weeks. I'm not trying to make you feel any worse than you already do. I don't know that I've ever felt this more than flying home on February break. Now, if you have kids, it's great to get away and you have a school district that does February break. It's really nice. It's a good week to get away. If you don't have kids, don't ever be on a flight around that time because it's crazy. But we've had several times where we have flown at the end of the trip directly from Florida back to Buffalo or Rochester. So everybody just had a week in Florida or Mexico or the Bahamas or whatever it was and it's glorious and then you get on a plane and magically two and a half hours later you're coming down through the clouds and there's this moment and I felt it several times where all of a sudden you can just see gray forever and everyone on the plane is like oh this is our life and you can feel it like I've never felt collective depression like that outside of a Bills game than in those flights where it's just like ooh. other times life just feels heavy for you or maybe just for the people close to you. A lot of times we don't even know the heaviness that some people are carrying around and dealing with. And frequently when people talk about handling the heaviness of life, you'll hear the term self-care. Self-care has become a bit of a buzzword over the last several years, and this is not an anti-self-care message or series. Amy would tell you I excel at self-care. She was home in, one of, like in the fall. I had a Friday off, and, and she's home, and so we get the girls on the bus, and then I went right out, and I played pickleball for a couple hours, and I came back, and I got a shower, and I came downstairs, and she was sitting there, and I was like, all right, I got to go. And she's like, where are you going? I said, my movie starts in 10 minutes. She's like, is this what you do on your day off? I said, absolutely. What do you do on your day off? And she said, laundry. I'm like, all right. And I hope that you do some things for self-care as well. It's important. But soul care is much more important. 
I can take the best possible care of myself. I can exercise. I can get good rest. I can do some relaxing activities. But if my soul isn't healthy, none of that is going to end up mattering very much. Because you aren't a body that has a soul. You are a soul that has a body. So to kick off this series, to kick off the new year, we're going to talk about how we can take care of our soul. What do we do when we feel overwhelmed, when we feel depressed, when we feel alone or like a failure? What does the wisdom of the Bible direct us to do when we encounter these things? And we're going to start today with, I feel overwhelmed. Some people do. I won't ask you to put your hand up, but if we were going to be honest, there would be a good amount of people this morning that would say, yes, I feel overwhelmed, right? I feel overwhelmed. No one ever feels whelmed though, right? Sometimes you're underwhelmed, sometimes you're overwhelmed. No one's ever whelmed. I don't know. I'm going to start saying that. Like, I feel whelmed, right? I'm not, I'm not overwhelmed, I'm not underwhelmed. I'm just properly whelmed. But you feel overwhelmed by a lot of things, right? Finances, you feel overwhelmed by that, by your own health or the health of someone that you love, by parenting or the directions and the decisions of your children's lives. You can feel overwhelmed by your job, by your boss, by your coworkers. You feel overwhelmed with relationships, with family and with friends. You can feel overwhelmed by not being sure where your life really should go from here. You might feel overwhelmed by our country. It's another election year. If you, if you feel overwhelmed because you watch too much cable news, that's the easiest one. Turn it off and stop watching forever, okay? That's, that's a real quick solution. Somebody needs that. Just turn that one off. That one's really easy. But the list is nearly endless of the things that make us feel overwhelmed. So the main point today is just that life can be overwhelming, but God promises us that we don't have to carry it all on our own. And there's two parts there. And the first part of that is just an admission that life can and will be overwhelming. When I think back to the days when our girls were four and two and a newborn, and Amy and I were both working hard, trying to succeed and advance in our careers. And, and sometimes Amy will say, hey, remember this? And I don't even remember. Like, I have no recollection. I was like, I don't know. I was stressed, right? I was tired. I was overwhelmed. I was doing the best that I could. And others of you here, you would kind of scoff at that, right? Your overwhelming days were or are much more difficult than just raising kids and trying to balance a job and a marriage. But the bottom line is that for all of us, at some times, life can and will be overwhelming. I mean, search the pages of Scripture and find the verse that God says, life will never be overwhelming if you love me and you follow me, because I couldn't find it. But what I do see, what I can find is the promise in the second half of that main point. God promises that we don't have to carry it all on our own. You know who felt overwhelmed at several points in his life? David. Now, we ended up with some really powerful and profound psalms from those feelings. A lot of the psalms are connected directly to historical events from David's life. You can kind of read about what's happening and read the psalm that he wrote. Psalm 61 that we're going to take a look at, it doesn't have that direct, clear marker, but the prevailing thought is that this psalm was written while he was in exile because his son Absalom was leading a rebellion to overthrow him, which feels like a legitimate reason to feel overwhelmed if your son is trying to overthrow you and the kingdom. And here's what David says in Psalm 61. I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. He says, Oh God, listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I cry to you for help when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the towering rock of safety, for you are my safe refuge. 
a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in your sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O God. You have given me an inheritance reserved for those who fear your name. And many add many years to the life of the king. May his years span the generations. May he reign under God's protection forever. May your unfailing love and faithfulness watch over him. Then I will sing praises to your name forever as I fulfill my vows each day. David, he's feeling overwhelmed. He's feeling beaten down and he turns to God and he begs for him to hear his prayer. And there's so many great things going on here. Just a couple things. One, from everything we know, David didn't travel far outside of Israel. So when he says from the ends of the earth, he isn't talking literally. He's talking about how he feels. And some of you, you get that. You identify with that feeling. You might not be very far from home. You might not be very far from familiar places, but at the same time, you feel like you're at the ends of the earth right now. And David felt the exact same way. But what is David's first response to that feeling? His response is to go to God. And we need to make prayer your first response to feeling overwhelmed. Make that your first response. And I know many of you would get that right on the test, right? If we put that question on a quiz, you'd get it. But actually doing it is a totally different thing. You're like, yeah, yeah, I get it. Pray first. I got it. What else do you have? But when we're in those moments, when we're in those kind of situations, we forget so quickly to pause and to pray. Whatever the situation is, walking into a difficult conversation, feeling rising tension in the room or in a relationship, heading into something that you're dreading and you just stop and you pause and you pray. You say, God, be with me in this. Be with this conversation. God, we need you right now in this room. We need you to be here. On my second mission trip, my first one, I was 16 and I went on a mission trip with my youth group to the Bahamas which was as good as it sounds. My second mission trip, I was 21, and I was in Mexico, uh, about four hours south of San Diego. And so we're there, we have two big, te- we have a, a big team, so we have two big vans, and we're driving one of the vans, and we're way in the back, and it just kind of like slid off the road into sand, and it was like buried up to the bumper. And so we've got all these people, right? And we've got leaders, and we got, str- and so we get out, and people are like digging, and it's, you know, like 14 different people coming up with different plans. We gotta do this, all right, everybody lift, and it's chaos, and somebody wants one of the guys just stopped and goes, hey, why don't we just pray? We just stop and pray and then we'll, we'll figure out a plan. And I was like, yeah, that's, that's actually a really good idea. So we do, we stop and we pray. We say, God, we got ourselves in this mess and we kind of need some help. Feels a little bigger than us. And so, uh, you know, just be with us. Give us wisdom as we figure out how to handle this. And it wasn't two minutes after we said amen that we saw a farmer and a tractor just starting to come around the corner. Right? It would be like if you slid off the snow and then you saw Bob Wood coming, you'd be like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And he pulls up and he had that van out five minutes after he got there. Try to build this response in as a, as a habit, as a natural response. When I'm thirsty, I, I reach for my water bottle. I don't have to think about it. I don't discipline myself to do that. It's my natural response. And when I'm overwhelmed, I want to reach out to God. I want that to be naturally my first instinct. Before I go into problem-solving mode, before I think, I can probably figure this out, I can probably fix this, I wanna pause and pray and invite God into the situation, invite God into my, my spirit for that. Because those of you that have been praying for a while, you understand this. Prayer may not change our circumstances, but it will change our perspective. Now don't hear that as me deflating the power of prayer. Prayer may not change our circumstances, but it may. 
And as Pastor Greg always said, we would be absolutely crazy not to ask. But whether or not it does change our circumstances, I have confidence that it will change our perspective. Because real prayer is encountering the living God. And throughout Scripture, no one has an encounter with God and walks away unchanged. I mean, in that Psalm, David said, when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the towering rock of safety for you are my safe refuge. David knew that he needed a strong, powerful rock. He knew he needed something that was stable and secure and would stand up against whatever he was facing. And he knew that this rock couldn't be himself, right? He was a strong guy, he was a tough guy, but he knew that the rock couldn't be himself. That's the difference between self-care and soul care. That's why we speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind, because I only have so much wisdom. I only have so much insight, so many abilities. I can only provide myself with so much protection. But God, he is the rock that's higher than I am. He's above me. His wisdom is far beyond mine. His abilities put mine to shame. His protection exceeds what I could ever do for myself. And then David also knew he needed to be led to that rock. David recognized that when he was in a substantial crisis, he wasn't able to sufficiently navigate this on his own. He knew that when times got tough, he needed to be led to the rock. I mean, if I asked you to walk from right here to the back door, like, you could probably do that, right? You'd be good. But if we gave you a bat and let you spin around 10 times first, well, then it's going to be interesting, right? You might get to that second row and you start doing this guy. Like, you've seen that. You watch those videos too. It's okay. Because when something else happens, it throws us off. We're not able to navigate it as well. And David said, I need to be led to the rock in those times. So in those ways, just as David did, when we're feeling overwhelmed, we cry out to God. We make prayer our first option instead of our last resort, understanding that prayer may or may not change our circumstances, but it will change our perspective. And as our perspective shifts, our trust and our confidence ultimately shift as well. Look at Jeremiah 17, 7 and 8, where it says, but blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. It, its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fail, fails to bear fruit. I love these verses so much, so much that uh, Jeremiah 17, 7 was the verse we gave to our youngest daughter Emerson at birth that she recites every night. I told her I was going to tell everyone to ask her to do that, and she asked me, please don't. So for what it's worth. I like it so much, I got a, a visual depiction of that verse on my left shoulder. Left shoulder? Yeah, of Amy and I as two trees on one side of the stream and the girls on the other side. Because what this verse serves to remind me, and I think can remind all of us, is that we don't trust in our own abilities. As Christ followers, we don't put our confidence in ourselves. If we want to be strong, if we want to withstand heat and drought and hardships, we have to put our trust in the Lord and put our confidence in Him. It's not that God wants you to feel weak, He doesn't want you to feel powerless or helpless, but He does not want your confidence to be in yourself. Because when our trust is fully in God, our confidence can be too. Listen, if you aren't willing to do the first part, then you won't receive the second part. Don't put your trust in yourself. Don't put your trust in your own abilities, in your own ways, in your, what you can do and how you want to do it, and then try to put the results on God. Everyone that wants to live however they want to live and sin however they want to sin and ignore the directions and wisdom of God, you can do that, and actually God will still love you. 
but that means your trust isn't fully in him. So your confidence can't be fully in him either. If you aren't going to trust him with the process, you can't hang the results on him. But when we trust the Lord, when we can fully put our confidence in him, and that will require some hard things. It's going to require acting differently than people who don't know and follow Jesus. It's going to require speaking and, and thinking and living differently than people who aren't trying to have a life that's centered on Jesus. Because away from Jesus, apart from his wisdom, what you hear is, well, you should follow your heart, right? If you're struggling, you should follow your heart. But the very next verse that Jeremiah writes here, after 17, 7, and 8, he directly and strongly contradicts this. Now, I just kind of mentioned this in passing in one of the Advent messages, but I want to look at it a little more. The next verse, Jeremiah 17, 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? He brings us this, this tough report that your heart is flawed, your heart does not make a good compass. People follow their hearts into all sorts of awful things. They follow their hearts into affairs, into ruined marriages and family, ruined families. People follow their hearts into horrible financial decisions. My heart wants a 2024 BMW X7, right? We'll figure it out. We can make the payments, right? That's what my heart wants. We're not gonna do it. Why? Because it's not a good idea. People follow their hearts into life-destroying decisions all the time. And I would pass both of you in that car. <laughs> so don't completely ignore your heart, but put more weight in what God is telling you than what your heart is telling you. If the wisdom of God and what your heart is telling you disagree, God wins. These two things are not equal. Your heart is deceitful and wicked. God is honest and he's wise and he's loving. If you're weighing these two things out against each other, it is not even close. And some people in here today are considering doing things that they know flies in the face of God's will because it's what their heart is telling them to do. I'm telling you this is God throwing up a stop sign in front of you. You would be wise to stop. You may or may not, but if you don't, don't be surprised when the results lead you to a place that you didn't really want to be. There are people in here who've been on this journey longer than you, and they're saying, oh man, I wish I had listened to that. I wish I had listened to that and not listened to my heart back then. What I would not give for a do-over for that one. I'm telling you, if you listen to your heart, you're going to spend a lot of time wishing that you got a do-over. If you listen to God, if you trust him, if you find your confidence in him, I'm telling you, you will not have the same regrets. I don't ever one time remember following God, trusting him, putting my confidence in him, and then regretting it. Couldn't come up with one time. But as we unpack this, as we go through this, even for some of you, as you saw the name of the message, you're like, okay, this is good for some other people, but honestly, I'm doing okay, right? I'm whelmed. I'm doing all right. You're not feeling overwhelmed. Maybe you were. Maybe that was a season. Maybe they came after a loss that you went through, but you did a lot of work there. You kept moving forward. And even though that grief comes back at times and in waves, you're mostly okay. If that's you, I would encourage you with the words that Paul gave to the church in Galatia. He gives us as a church, as Christ followers, walking through this journey, some important instructions in Galatians 6.2, where he tells us our job is to carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If you're doing okay, I just want to encourage you to keep your eyes open and to look around. Do you see someone that looks like they need an arm around the shoulder? 
Do you see someone that looks like they actually need someone to really slow down? And I just say, hey, man, how you doing? Good. All right, see ya. But slow down and say, how you doing? How you really doing? How have you been? Is there someone that you already know is going through an overwhelming season of life? Because when you aren't overwhelmed, find someone to help who is. This isn't really that hard. And this is what we as a church, this is what we're here for. And it's not just the pastors and the staff to the people of the church. This is the people that make up Northgate to each other. I'll tell you, this is the most encouraging church on the planet. I really, truly believe that. A couple weeks ago, I was going on a coffee date with Amy, and we're driving in my car. So, you know, Siri reads the text as they come in, and we're driving through, and, and I get this text. And it's, I think it's a Monday morning. It's from somebody here at Northgate. It starts reading this text, and it was just the most beautiful, uplifting, encouraging thing. And I'm listening to it, and it, and it got me, you know, it made my eyes get a little bit teary as I listened to it. And he finished, and I look at Amy, and she goes, you know, no one does that with my work. No one, no one ever sends me a message and says, thank you so much for who you are and what you do. And, and you know, I said, Amy, here's the thing. It's not that unusual as to who the church is. You guys are incredible and you're encouraging and you're loving and you're kind. I mean, when I read 1 Corinthians 13, I can pull the word love out and replace it with Northgate and it makes sense. Northgate's patient. Northgate is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Northgate doesn't dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. So please, please, please make sure to be constantly, deliberately sharing that love with each other, especially with people who are feeling overwhelmed. Every time we as a church walk through a heartbreaking loss with someone, it hits us deeply. It really does. We grieve with you as you grieve. But my favorite thing to come out of those situations is afterwards when I hear people say, I don't know how we would have made it through that if it wasn't for the church. It gets me every single time because that is what we're here for, to carry each other's burdens. And there will be times when you're being carried and there will be times that you are the one who is carrying. I mean, for me, by far, the, most two, the two most difficult emotional weekends at Northgate for me were the ones when Emerson had just got bit by the dog the night before and when Amy's dad had the stroke and it didn't look like he was gonna make it. I remember coming in and those were so hard for me because those were the days people were carrying me. I'm much more comfortable being in the caring role. I would love to care for you. I'd love to help you through. But all of us need to be in each of those roles at different times. Amy's brothers are like fitness like freaks, you know, and I use that as a term of endearment. Um, but the older two, they've done several marathons and uh, one of them just qualified for the uh, Ironman World Championship in New Zealand. I mean, so they're not like, hey, I like to jog every now and then. No, they're, they're nuts. And when they did their first marathon, they did it together. And I thought it was so interesting afterwards because in my mind, neither of those two would ever quit. They could run 50 miles if they had to. But they were talking about it afterwards and they kind of were saying, hey, you know, I remember, uh, I think it was Aaron that said, you know, around 18 miles, I, I was really struggling. I wanted to be done. But I looked over at you, and you looked pretty good. You looked like you were cruising. I thought, well, if he's not stopping, I'm not stopping. And then Brett was like, yeah, I felt pretty good then. But around 21, 22, I really hit a wall, and I just wanted to be done. And I looked at you, and you, you were cruising. You looked like great. Like you could run all day. And I thought, well, if he's not going to quit, then I'm not going to quit. And I love that because it's the perfect picture for how the church should carry each other's burdens. Because some of you, you've gone through profound loss. And the people who helped you through are the same people you'll be helping with in the future. You reached a point where you didn't feel like you could keep going, but somebody else encouraged you and kept you moving forward. And down the road, you're gonna do the same thing for them. 
As difficult as it is, as heavy as it is, it is a beautiful picture for what God intended for his family to be for each other. So I just wanna give you a couple very practical action steps and then I'm gonna bring it back to Jesus as we head to communion and wrap this up. A couple action steps for what they're worth. First, change your focus. Change your focus. If you've been around long enough to be singing hymns, you remember, turn your eyes on Jesus, right? Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And what happens? The things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. I'm not telling you to ignore your problems. I am telling you that sometimes we spend way too much time focusing on the problem and far too little time focusing on the God who is with us in the midst of them. Second, control what you can control. When I was in college, I was probably 19 or 20, I heard a pastor say, and I don't know if it's original to him or not, but he said, if you're worried about something you can do something about, then do something and stop worrying. If you're worried about something you can't do something about, stop worrying, you can't do anything. And for me, that just like made so much sense in my rigid black and white mind that like whenever I worry, I'm like, am I worried about a message because I'm behind? Well, guess what? I'm gonna get up early, I'm start working on that message so that I can feel better about it. Am I worried about the outcome of a football game tonight? There's nothing I can do. I'm not expecting a call from the coach asking me a play. So I might feel a little worried. I might feel worried about the plane that I'm on. Is this gonna get there safely? Well, again, the pilot's not gonna come back and be like, excuse me, we need you up front. We're going to have to ask you to land this. Did you do Flight Simulator a little bit in 1999? I'd be like, yes, I did. I'm glad you're here. I try not to worry about things that are completely out of my control. Next, remember who God is and what he's promised you. God will never leave you or forsake you. He will not walk away from you. He has not abandoned you now, even if you feel like you're at the ends of the earth. Those are some of the promises of God. He's not promised you a life that will never feel overwhelming, but he has promised you to be with you every single step of the way. Fourth, I would really encourage you to shut down negativity. That's why I take shots at cable news whenever I can, because people get stuck in a negative loop. Right? We get stuck in there. Things can be bad, but a lot of times we make them worse in our mind and we fixate on them and we get, and it's just like we keep going and going and going. And then sometimes we'll get other people to be negative with us, and then that's a real big downward spiral when you start to involve other people. Just be aware of that and shut down that negativity. Go to God's Word, put some worship music on do something that is going to pull that negativity out and put something good in there instead. And then finally, invest in life-giving relationships. My next message in this series is, I feel alone, so I need to leave a little meat on the bone here, but there are relationships in life that empty your emotional gas tank. And there are relationships that fill that up. And you need to be aware of that. And you need to have enough that fill that up to counter the ones that empty that out, right? There's a certain amount of emptying that's just gonna happen, right? It's just, it, it is what it is. And that might need to be a real priority for some of you in 2024 is to invest in those kind of relationships. But whether you have those relationships here right now in person, here on earth or not, you have the offer of the most life-giving relationship any of us could ever hope for from Jesus. A relationship with Jesus not only brings us eternity someday when we die, and I don't want to undersell the importance of eternity, that's forever, but it also leads us to the life that is truly life right now. It leads us to a life where things can be overwhelming, but where we know we don't have to do it all on our own. 
Jesus said a lot of life-transforming things that are recorded in the Bible, but these are some of my favorite verses. These are verses you might need to write down and put in your car. You might need to put it on your mirror in the bathroom. You might need to put it on your desk at work. You might just need to memorize it, but Matthew 11, 28 to 30, here's what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. When I read those words, I can just feel my breath get deeper. I feel my pulse slow down when I read, and I will give you rest. Doesn't that sound good? You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I picture this and I imagine carrying something, a weight that's just too heavy for you, right? Maybe maybe it's a, a TV or it's a big box and you're carrying it and you're struggling and you're striving and you're doing your best, but at the same time, you can just feel it starting to slip. Or you can feel that grip getting weak. Some of you, you don't have to imagine too much. You know exactly what I'm talking about. But as you struggle and as you strive and as you feel your hands starting to let go, you hear this gentle, humble voice beside you. And it's Jesus. And he puts his hands out lovingly. He says, here, let me take it. Let me take it. It looks like you've got all that you can handle, but I'm not even close to my capacity. Let me carry this for you. Because Jesus is willing and able to carry what we cannot. What if I told you he's not just willing and able? This is what he wants from us and for us. He wants us to turn to him. He wants us to rely on him. He wants to carry those burdens for us. He wants us to trust in him and to put our confidence in him, to turn to him the rock that is higher than we are when life is overwhelming. I had a moment last Sunday. Last Sunday was awesome worship, and and I knew we were closing with the song, The Goodness of God, which has just impacted me for a long time. And and so I'm there, and and we had Kristen Dupengeiser back, and she was singing it and did an incredible job, and I'm just really enjoying the worship. And then I just started to look around. Now, I don't sit up front because I'm a pastor. I sit up front because I'm easily distracted, and I don't want to look around, all right? I just, I don't need a lot of people in between me and what I'm trying to look at. But as I started to look around, I saw people people who had lost their spouse, people who lost a child, people with cancer, or someone that they love with cancer, people in the midst of painful struggles with infertility, people who are going through painful divorces, people who in many ways just got decked by life over the last few years. And there they were singing that song. Some of them raising their hands and saying, all my life you have been faithful. All my life you've been so good. And it got me. It got me. I'm not a normal worship crier, but man, it really got me. It got me because the only way that you could say that, the only way that you could sing that, that you could believe that is if Jesus had been carrying what you could not carry on on your own. Otherwise, it doesn't make sense. If you had taken the words of Jesus at face value, if you had come to him when you felt weary and you felt burdened and you found rest, If in your darkest and most difficult moments, you found Jesus to be gentle and humble at heart and you found rest for your soul. Because that is the offer. And even more than that, that is the promise of Jesus to each of us today. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the life of Jesus. God, I thank you that we don't have to carry these burdens on our own. 
Lord, I pray that those words would be incredibly true to us today, Lord, especially to the people that really need it the most right now, that we would come to you and we would find rest. In Jesus' name, amen. Going through, but I do know that Jesus reigns above it all. If you want to come forward for prayer, you're welcome to do that. You can pray by yourself in the front row or the seats, or you can pray with me or Pastor DL, whatever works for you. I want to give you a takeaway as you go today, though, and it's just really bringing those words of Jesus back that he promised that when we are weary and burdened, if we come to him, he will give us rest for our souls. So go today in that promise in the love of God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Have a great week, and we will see you next weekend. Thank you everyone for tuning in and being part of the Northgate podcast today. Your support and engagement have truly been incredible. If you like what you hear, then please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Northgate podcast. It's your enthusiasm and continued support that keeps us motivated and inspired to creating meaningful content that resonates with our listeners. So thanks again. Thanks again.